Hello and welcome to the sixth, I believe, episode of My Friend Podcast with me, your host, Paige Elkington. Uh, We just came back from a long ass break and I hope everyone had really wonderful holidays. Mine were... Mine were pretty good. I didn't go home for the first time, and that was a good move for me because, you know, I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and the airport is tiny, and tickets to fly in are ridiculously expensive, and they're always connecting, so there was just, like, no fucking way I was going to spend $900 to go to Knoxville, Tennessee. Just, I could not do it. So I just said, hey, I'm going to stay planted here in Los Angeles. Everyone left, so that was cool. There was no traffic. And I weirdly get just so much work done when I'm not supposed to be working. Like, I work better during the holidays. What's up with that? What else happened? Yeah, New Year's was great. I went to Aspen, and that was cool. Except I got really bad food poisoning, which was so intense. I forget how intense food poisoning is. And the only good thing about it is that it makes you feel so grateful for not having food poisoning. You're just like, wow, I just, I can drink water. That's cool. Okay, enough about me. (laughs) So the guest today is a really wonderful guy named Justin Pines. Uh, I met Justin Pines in Denver at a salad shop called Modern Market. And he was behind me and my friends uh, in line in a wheelchair. And he ended up having lunch with us. And he was just the coolest guy. But, um... His story's pretty fucking crazy. Uh, He is paralyzed from the chest down in a wheelchair and just unbelievably positive. It's weird. He's he's insanely positive and almost seems happier than most people I know that do have the use of their legs. So anyway, I was intrigued by him and I wanted to share his story on the podcast just to really touch on how amazing humans are and they're just ability to adapt and you know when bad shit happens to us we adapt and yeah so let's get into it here we go oh one more thing (sighs) please subscribe like share you know the whole drill um become a patreon member if you've been listening to the podcast every episode and you're really enjoying it and want to support the show in a consistent manner I'm on Patreon as my friend Paige. And then I also am really excited for the new guests that are going to be on the podcast. And I'm also going to sprinkle in this new format where it's kind of just me and a friend um, shooting shit and talking about life, things that are personal, things that are going on in the world. And because I I always have wanted to try that format in addition to interviewing people, uh, I think it'll be fun and funny so that's going to be happening as well and that is it and i love you all very much here we go you know when i was deep stalking you on instagram prior to this there's your life before your injury on your instagram and there's your life after it's like photos of you not in a wheelchair and then photos of you in a wheelchair why don't you take us to what your life was like prior to your injury? Sure, sure. I got hurt when I was 30, so there was plenty of life. Uh, Before. Up. I grew up in the Bay, in the East Bay, in Lafayette. Um, 
family of six, four kiddos, and uh, mom and dad trying to wrangle us. I'm the oldest of four. I have two brothers and a sis. And I grew up playing a lot of music. My dad's a jazz piano player. Um, I'm a trumpet player. I was actually, you know, as the oldest, like kind of a science experiment. Like mm-hmm. I didn't start learning piano, but then every I'm the only of the six that doesn't play keys. Um, and actually, as of four months ago, I bought a keyboard and I'm learning. I'm taking uh, lessons over FaceTime with my uncle Matt in Toronto. Oh, cool! Um, so my remote game is strong. Like, yeah, this is podcast, piano lessons, technology. I build software, and we've got a pretty remote team. So you know, so this is your comfort zone. Wheelhouse. So there's six of you, and you guys all play instruments. Yeah, four. Like I have three siblings, and then mom and dad. My my mom also plays piano, um, but uh, she doesn't play as much anymore. She, you know. Did you band guys, manager slash. Did you guys ever think of starting a family band? We've gigged together, actually. What? Um, a decent amount, yeah. Nothing, like, big, but, you know, just stuff around town. It's definitely a big part of, actually, this, you know, um, we're in December now, like, kind of the, the holiday time. Uh, a lot of nostalgia and kind of good feels here about getting home, usually, and there's a lot of music that happens at the house over the holidays. It's- oh, God, I'm so jealous of your, like, big family traditions. I, I have the opposite of that. It's something that, um, I mean, especially in the last number of years, I've, uh, to the degree I ever take it for granted, I've really kind of refocused up on how lucky I am. Uh, it's, a, it's a special thing. Did you ever take it for granted? I mean, I have always, if asked about it, like, you know, it's quick to mention that my family is a big part of my life and something I am very grateful for. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is after the injury, it really underscored just how precious a thing that is. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, the bottom kind of dropped out after I got hurt and my family came around me in a way that was, and, you know, family and close friends, um, but in a really special way. That's when community is like really, if you've built it Mm -hmm. and it's there for you in those times, like you're just so grateful for that. Yeah. When people show up, totally. Prior to your injury, what were you doing? I finished up high school in the East Bay and then I, I went to Princeton out in Jersey, um, did four years, very philosophy, ran a whole lot. I was on the cross country track, um, all four years there, played a lot of jazz. Um, and then when I graduated, I, uh, my first gig was with Teach for America. So I went out to West Side Oahu. I taught eighth grade English at the intermediate. And then I, uh, would drive across the street after school to the high school and coach the cross country and track teams. Um, and oh, cool. yeah, really, uh, just deeply impactful and special chapter of my life. Got very immersed in that community and close with a lot of my kids and the families and, and just learned a lot myself about like what community can look like. Is, um, is it a small place? Why not is a uh, couple features about it's, um, got a bit of a rep on island. Like, it's the highest concentration of Native Hawaiians anywhere in the world. Um, it's an incredibly diverse community. In what way? Native Hawaiian, Samoan, Tongan, Micronesian, Filipino, like, just all across the boards, a bunch of different cultures have all kind of come into one place. But, like, the identity, like, first and foremost is I'm from Waianae. So you assimilated yes. really well. Eventually. <laughs> Not my first year. What do you mean? I I showed up. Like, didn't you know, like your beaming smile. So, so right, like Teach for America, 
is an amazing organization and they take teaching very seriously and it's like you come in off institute over the summer where it's a pretty intensive five-week training i remember sleeping like three four hours at night just like you're teaching classes at summer school all day and you're like in your own classes in the evenings and then you're expected to produce lesson plans basically until like one or two in the morning super yeah. rigorous and you you come to your you know your region i'm we're showing up in hawaii it was about 60 of us in the 08 hawaii core and like high hopes all inflated with like the mission and like transforming education in this country in this country and like you show up in your classroom and i was wearing my button-down shirt and like i think i even wore slacks my first day and west side oahu it's like who is this howly boy showing up like i didn't have a beard i looked like i was 16 i literally <laughs> remember my first year one of the kids was like earnestly asked this question like you you go to school high school and i was like Bro, you think that I teach you every day and I'm also going to high school? Like, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't even delivered as like an insult. It was like genuine. He was genuinely so, wondering that's if also, you were also his age. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, were you, are you like three years older than me or four? So that's why I grew a beard. Um, but also like, yeah, in terms of assimilation, in terms of like sort of figuring out the unwritten rule set of how things work, right? Like I certainly by my second year, like, I traded out the the button down for like the school t-shirt, board shorts, slippers, you know, flip-flops. I'd, uh, you know, traded out my like, my classroom management, like rules of the classroom for just like managing the relationship, like more glances and like, come on, Kavika, I'm like, you know, headlocks or whatever than anything super oh formal. Headlocks. Because it's just like, yeah, headlocks. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that would never fly here, but I love that. No, would not. <laughs> it was a very special time. Learned a lot. But then another very sharp left-hand turn from west side of Oahu, where literally there's bumper stickers about like, and like reference like how Honolulu is stressed and like, you know, those city, city people. Um, and then went to Manhattan and got into startup technology, which was... Wow, what a very, 360. Very <laughs> okay, so you went from that to startup life in Manhattan. Okay, why'd you do and that? I, and I, like, showed up with, you know, that annoying kid that, like, had spent time on the island. Like, oh, you were that so guy. Like, shockers, like, aloha. Oh, I mean, I still no. do that shit sometimes. It's a little, it's a little cringy every once in a while. You were, like, Hawaii. It was an, yet another uh, cultural adjustment period, let's say. So why did you make that switch? Why did yeah, you go from I, island life to... To start a to, I knew that I wanted to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, in the office all day um, and loved it. Um, it AppNexus <laughs> was... Said no one ever. Said no one ever. After, like, going from, you know, uh, running around with kids literally uh, up and down the coast of West Side Oahu with the cross-country program and teaching and just being on my feet all day and, and deeply relational, I mean... Going out to the office in the Flatiron area, it was just this small, dynamic little half of a floor on the fifth floor, that building of just some of the most brilliant people who are so fun. Like all my friends in New York knew that like Fridays, they weren't going to see me because inevitably Friday with the crew at the office spilled out into like, you know, an all night affair. Um and oh God, you it were was, so romanticizing like an office. I know, no, but you. I love it's it. It's ridiculous, right? It's it sounds. I don't know. I can plan it up, but if you, I still talk with a ton of that crew from the early days, and 
we all romanticize it. it yeah. Is, uh, no, that's amazing. It really it's just time. like you never hear that. Right. My right. office job made me want to, it was like soul sucking. <laughs> yeah. I think, especially in the sort of wartime technology startup, like there's so many hard problems, there's so much unknown, and you're working alongside, I mean, it, in this situation, it was like people that I deeply trusted and was very challenged by. Like I mm-hmm. routinely was in a room being like, why am I even here? I can't keep up. Like, these people are so beyond where I can get. Like there was just this incredibly high level of performance. It was, it was cool. So when was that? What, what, how old were you at that point? Uh, I was 2011. I was three years into my career. I was 20, I don't know, five. Time. Oh, got it. Yep. So it was 2011. And then I was with that Nexus for, very non-millennial uh seven years whoa total almost exactly very non-millennial um, i know right staying at a job for yeah. seven years who does that it's not the who 1950s anymore <laughs> i know right so. <laughs> just to recap you're in sure hawaii you're living a carefree life you're not wearing shoes you're teaching mm-hmm. native hawaiians you're running down beaches, swirling around in the sand, and then you um, move to New York and start working at a startup, which... You... I still didn't wear shoes in the office. Okay. A lot of, a lot of... It was a progressive startup. Right. And you're loving it. You're doing great work, and you're about to sell the company. We haven't really dived into it. Did you have a relationship at the time? I did. And then you get hurt. 2016. April, April 9th, uh, whiteout day at Squaw Valley in Tahoe. I was a, I mentioned being a runner all through undergrad. Um, I was a pretty serious skier as well. Um, and kind of after coming back from the Island reclaimed that sport in a pretty big way. Um, and Wait, running or skiing, uh, skiing, okay. skiing. Um, and yeah, I was out uh, with Best Bud, uh, Michael. We were out for like one last trip. Uh, we decided that Wednesday before that weekend, let's buy a last minute flight and jump out for a weekend. It's April, but there's still decent snow and we'll um, get the last couple turns in for the season. And um, yeah, that morning was wet out to the point where I could reach out and hit him with a ski pole, but couldn't see him. Like it Whoa, was, what? It, in the early morning, it was completely white out. That gave way to some rain. It was basically just a sick day for skiing. Okay. Um, and uh, we had been hunting around for decent snow. And off the headwall list, uh, skied Sunset Bowl. And then had regrouped for a second. Um, and then she had skied down this face. And I had traversed across the hill picked up some speed and just to like lip off the berm into the trees um nothing crazy technical or anything else but the snow is really bad and when i hit it it gave way and so i lost control in the air actually like rotated in the air inadvertently and landed backwards like switch and uh i it was not a place where 
I could afford to be falling. Um, you know, I was entering the trees and uh, landed backwards, side of the tree all over my shoulder, oh, threw yeah. my body through the snow to try and miss it. It was one of those moments that, like, it all happened in a second, but it, like... Felt like an eternity? It felt like an eternity, like a thought process, a drawn-out thought process in the air, like, oh my God, I'm, a, I'm a knocking, landing in control, like, I'm knocking, there's a tree, I'm not able to miss it, do I try and miss it, and, like regain control do i throw myself i'll probably just hit something like i remember there's just flurry of thoughts ending in an action which is to throw myself to the ground try and miss it i didn't um i impacted the tree with my back um going backwards um and my, actually my head came around and hit it and i there's a there's a number of sort of sub narratives here to this like of yeah i bought a brand new helmet weeks before um and uh, that saved my life. Absolutely. I oh, really? taken a, a small fall in Jackson hole. Um, I'm just a groomer end of the day, heading back to the lodge and, uh, it had knocked me out and it shouldn't have, it was very minor. Um, so but the, the helmet, helmet really was, did. The old helmet was like destroyed. And I realized it from that little fall, bought a really expensive, nice helmet. Um, that was brand new. And I didn't actually realize this at the time, but like, if you have a serious impact, and not even crazy, but like, even if you drop your helmet from a decent height on the pavement, you should replace it because the foam fractures and it oh. doesn't absorb impact like it would if it was non-fractured. And so the old helmet, the foam was shot. It also dries out over a couple of years. And so like, you should be replacing your helmet. Little PSA here. Hey guys, every two if to you're three listening years. to this, replace yeah. your helmet. I don't rely on luck or, you know something maybe more than luck uh that you know i don't even wear a helmet, so this is good day. to hear yeah it was um it's something so i i didn't even black out um like i was fully conscious i hit the tree fell in the tree well which is the hole around the trunk of the tree where over the course of the season the snow is blocked by the branches and so increasingly a deeper and deeper hole forms around the trunk it's, it's where skiers go to die. You fall in, you just suffocate, can't get out, oh. you're insulated, you can't, you're not heard. Um, and my skis got stuck at the top of this, you know, in the snow as I fell in. So it was actually hanging upside down and not a good situation. It broke most of the ribs on my right side. It sheared my sternum in half vertically. It collapsed my right lung and it broke my spine in half at the T4, T5 vertebrae. Did you... Separated. Did you have a moment where you thought you were like, I'm dead? It wasn't a moment of I am dead. It was a moment of like after the initial impact, like sort of these thoughts crystallizing of like, I'm upside down. I just hit this tree and I can't feel my legs. Um, I, yeah. So I was, I was instantly paralyzed from sort of my sternum, my chest uh, down. And I was hanging upside down with, at the time, I had no idea how much internal damage. I just knew sort of I couldn't move and I was not getting out of there on my own. And I, I went into this kind of very focused, like bulleted headspace of like, there's three things I have to do. Like, first thing, I'm not getting out of here on my own. I need people to be looking for me. Like, I have to get in touch with people so that, they you can know, come get you. Rescue, rescue, yeah, is on the way. And then... It, the second thing that kind of came to me after that was like, I can't be upside down for 
that long. long period of time. It's like I um, had gotten into some yoga, you know, living on Brooklyn, mm-hmm. as one does. Yeah. Um, and I like, you know, I like being upside down. And I was like, I know about how long I could be upside down. It's not that long. Yeah, a lot happened. I was upset. I was in that tree well for almost an hour. I was, and just like a whole small novel of shit happened. It was a kind of wild experience. I gloves off, kind of with my teeth, got the gloves and the helmet off, and was able to get my phone out. I couldn't type on it because everything wet. It'd been raining. Like I, you know, out of the shower, you can't type on your phone. Yeah, of course. Same deal. So I like. I can't believe you were able to get your phone. Hey Siri. Yeah, I keep my phone in my breast pocket always. Um, yeah, and actually, like, I mean, the phone was an absolute lifeline. Like, um, I've written Apple being like, hey, you know, Siri saved my life. Uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Apple, but, another advertiser yeah, for right? us. another plug, you know, one of the small brands to help. Yeah, uh, tiny brand. the signal on the pod. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, after, in the aftermath of the injury, I got, like, sort of, almost to a degree irrationally connected for those first few months to my phone because it was like I need that near me because it saved my life interesting Um, yeah that eased off and mellowed out to just the normal you know 2019 levels of phone obsessing (laughs) um oh god yeah we'll get into that later yeah um there's a lot we could talk for a while I'm sure about it but um after about an hour they finally tracked me down I'd climbed out twice uh because of the whole being upside down yeah. Thing I was able to kind of reach up with my left hand and grab a branch and stick my right elbow into the wall of the snow, like up the tree well, and like ladder myself up and out, which I I was in shock. Like, oh, and I was paralyzed and couldn't feel a lot of the pain, but there's no way that was good for as much trauma I had been done internally. But yeah, totally. Like, it kept me conscious. Like, I was able to get up and out and like let the blood drain from my head. Um, oh my god! Thank God. Yeah. But, like, it was too painful to stay. And it's kind of, like, almost like a side plank on my right side, which is where everything was broken. And um, so I was only able to stay up for, like, I don't even know how long it was, a minute, minute or two. And then I ended up, like, lowering myself back down. So let's fast forward. So this happened. You, I'm sure, were taken to a hospital. <laughs> and yep. what did you find out when you were in the hospital? Yeah, so... They got me to Renown Hospital in Reno. Um, they couldn't helicopter, like, airlift out because the weather was so bad, so it was an ambulance ride. That I remember being the worst part. But once we uh, got to Renown and busted through those doors in the stretcher, I remember, like, a few questions being asked, and then they knocked me out with something. And then I remember sort of reemerging to consciousness after the surgery. So I was, I guess, 24 hours after impact, roughly, they did a spinal fusion surgery from T2 to T7, thoracic vertebrae, sort of screw, two screws per vertebrae and rods going up and down to stabilize my spine. Um, and I remember talking, this wouldn't have been the first conversation. The first conversation was with family, but the doc, uh, he was pretty incredible. This is the neurosurgeon. And I remember him coming in saying like, don't you dare count yourself out. Like do everything you can in the coming months in rehab. I've mm-hmm. seen, you know, pretty miraculous stuff. But no matter what, like, you're going to kick ass. And yeah. But you had no idea that you were going to be paralyzed from sorry, your chest down. or did I you... think I may have injected some of my own language into his. He, he said, like, throw yourself at rehab, but by far, chances are that you're paralyzed for the rest of your life. Like, that, he was, they're straightforward. Like, they 
Mm -hmm. because you have to get your mind start getting your mind around this new just gargantuan fact um that was not true yesterday about your life and now and now is which is crazy and so was your initial reaction just like did your mind not even go to a place of like no I'm definitely gonna heal myself there's a way I'm gonna be able to walk again or was it anger or did you immediately believe that to be true or like where did your head go when you first heard that did you have hope at all or were you just just still processing I remember thinking it's like this metaphor of straddling a fence like you've got one foot on the side of hope like I'm gonna do everything I can personally I'm gonna be in prayer with my family for for healing for a way through this that doesn't involve a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side of things, like no matter what, like there's a good plan ahead and there is still so much that I am going to do with my life. So you and weren't, you weren't like, holy shit, I'm paralyzed. You were more like, I'm glad to be alive and I'm, I'm going to figure this out and make this work. I mean, there's, there's definitely a piece of <laughs> holy shit I'm paralyzed yeah. like what like that's that's definitely a piece of it I think from fairly early on this attitude of like oops what are we gonna do like how do we one thing you'll hear me say a lot is sort of like how do we stretch the world back out again to be world-sized like it it was the size of a, a hospital bed like I couldn't mm-hmm. sit up like I couldn't for the first number of days, I couldn't get out of bed. Like you're absolutely bound. Like I remember the day five or six, like, like we're going to get you into a wheelchair today. We're going to get you out of bed being like, what? Whoa. That's like so that's ambitious. Crazy, yeah. Um, and yeah, seeing what's outside that room for the first time. And you know, it's just, it shrinks down to so, so small. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the general mindset was like, how do I broaden it out to be, you know, I was from travel to my athletic pursuits to just like the, you know, living in the craziest city in the world. And, um, I was traveling a decent amount to Europe for professional pursuits and just like living this fairly active, ambitious life. And I wanted to get back to that. Yeah. So what was life, like post injury, like were you self? I mean, how self sufficient could you be at that point? Like the first five or six days were in the ICU, and those nurses keep you alive. They're like the ninjas of the hospital, like um, incredibly capable, incredibly good at what they do. Um, and then I spent a few days kind of on the floor out in the neuro ward, basically waiting for the medical jet to take me to Denver to Craig Hospital, where I did my like um, inpatient rehab and when i got out to craig hospital here in denver it was five weeks of like the transition back to life um and craig hospital i almost at a loss for words uh just an unbelievable place i am still very active there i mentor there um you know ended up staying in denver and not moving back to new york that ski trip was the last time i lived in new york and uh, it's more family and community than like medical institution. A day at Craig 
And this is like within three days of arriving, we're talking, you know, I'm not even two weeks out from impact. And it's like six to seven hours of therapy per day, an hour of like mat class where you work on balance, an hour of wheelchair class where you literally learn how to operate a wheelchair and not just like push forward and turn, but like, how do you wheelie off a curb? How do you, you know, like go downstairs by yourself? Like it gets pretty rowdy. If it's going to be your modality for for a long term, like you need Mm -hmm. to be proficient, but you're still not independent. Like in, you know, at Craig, you've got a hospital bed. I remember the day, like after three or four weeks there, when I, I was ready and they swapped my hospital bed out for a regular bed. Like you're going to learn to move around and get in and out of bed on your own. Um, but you're initially getting help transferring in and out of bed, getting help with all of your daily cares and all, uh, leave it at that, but all the, the bathroom related things. And, um, you get to a point, the goal is to get to a point where when you discharge, you're as independent as possible. So it's baby steps I, to independence. It's baby steps. Mm-hmm. And I moved into a, an apartment, uh, here in Denver when I left Craig by myself and my folks had left an old, uh, car from the house back in the Bay. They'd driven out and I put portable hand controls in it wing nuts screws just mounted on the gas and brake pedals and this little contraption sits on your lap and you operate the gas and brake with one hand and drive with the other and i Whoa, was driving wait, in. Wait, wait wait yeah wait yeah. a second <laughs> slow hold on hold on so your gas and brake you is up a... you ever played mario kart hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah what do you think I am? Of course I played Mario Kart. So it's basically like your controller is where your hand can reach. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you drive, you operate gas and brake with a foot. And a hand is way more versatile. And yeah. Why do we foot. do that? So, I kind of want your version. Right? right? <laughs> you, you do. You don't even realize it. You definitely do it. It's actually kind of funny, right? So if you're driving with hand controls because they're prescribed and they're medically necessary, you know, you only have one hand to turn the wheel. And so if you're ever in like sort of a immersion situation where you have to do a rapid maneuver to like you know do hand over hand turning i can't do that so you have this little spinner knob Mm -hmm. um which is not street legal they use them in like street racing to like drift oh my god Um, they're like like also they're also called suicide knobs like you know uh, in the industry and but like it's on my license that i have to have one and it's in summary very fun uh I actually, I'm playfully kind of talking about it as assumed, but when I first was lying in my hospital bed at Craig Hospital and one of my nurses came in and said, yeah, you're, you're driving lessons on Tuesday. I was like, wait, Sarah, you don't, I thought you, you knew that I can't use my legs. I thought we've been over this. Like, what? Yeah. She's like, no, no, you can, you can drive. You just, you'll use your hands. I was like, there was a ton of those like mind blown moments all throughout I mean, inpatient and beyond. I still have them sometimes where it's like, wait, what? My buddy Trev is doing backflips in a sit ski? Like, I don't understand. That's a thing? That's a thing? Um, Mark Wellman did the Trans-Sierra Crossing for, like, three days in a cross-country bi-ski. And, like, so. The possibilities are endless. Endless. And and just the human capability. Like, what people do to adapt and Mm -hmm. still wring the towel on the adventure and potential of life is just remarkable. And you see it uh, in fine display in this sort of community of adaptive athletics. 
Yeah. And so that's what I kind of wanted to get into. So what like expanded for you after this? Yeah. The, the first couple of things I knew I wanted to figure out one, like I was in the ICU in renowned hospital back in Reno day three or four or whatever it was. And I started a little list on my phone of like, shit I'm still going to do. And the first thing I wrote down was do another marathon. I'd run New York in, um, November of 2015 and got hurt that April 2016. And so pretty soon after I was on ramping back to life and trying to figure out what my new normal is going to look like and what I wanted, one of the first projects was how am I going to get back to the starting line and push another marathon. And yeah, it's a racing wheelchair. So if you think of like day-to-day wheelchairs as kind of the equivalent of walking, Mm -hmm. uh, racing wheelchair is the adaptive version of running. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, high fives helped me purchase one and I, the Christopher and Dana Reeve foundation, these are like two very important and big foundations and like communities in my life now, mm-hmm. uh, high fives, uh, helps mountain athletes get back to sport after injury. They're based out of Tahoe, like squaws, their home mountain. One of the patrollers, as he was cutting my jacket off in the snow cat, like getting me off the mountain the day I got hurt asked me like do you know about high fives and i was like what and she got my info and connected me with roy tuscany the head of high fives and roy was in my hospital room three days later wow um and like from that day it's been a just incredibly important group of people i've surfed with them i've mountain biked with them i've pushed the marathon in a chair racing chair they they got for me um i've skied a bunch with them Anyways, yeah, and the Chris Brandana Reef Foundation, in the same breath, are like, you know, this unbelievable national organization that is really driving towards both the trying to find ways to better cure and address the impacts of spinal cord injury, as well as provide care and support um, for those who suffered a spinal cord injury. And they got me entrance into the marathon and sort of with their jersey on my back, uh, I pushed my first. New York City Marathon, having run it in 2015, I pushed it in 2017. That was that was a big one. Like I was a runner. That was wow. That was my sport. So it's good to sort of take the first steps to reclaiming it. It seems like you've had like a pretty easy time with the whole thing. Did you ever struggle with like a time where you felt yeah. depressed or anxious or was it hard to stay positive or? Is your DNA just a bit different where you were just able to stay positive the whole time and kind of just look to the future? There's been a lot of momentum and hunger around how do we, how do we do, how do we figure out, how do we bring creativity to bear to like build life again? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not to say there wasn't grief. And I I think it's, it's just really important to give yourself space to grief. um, Yeah. Like a memory that, really stands out as one of the early times where I like deeply experienced loss and sort of like let it hit in the depths and with the weight that it merits Yeah, (laughs) was coming back from one of these outings with the Craig hospital crew. We'd gone to like an archery trip, fun day, fun afternoon. We're on the bus heading home and I was looking up in the foothills as we're driving back. And there are these little goat paths that like cut up these little single track, beautiful paths that cut up into the hills. And that's like what I grew up running on. And, you know, my eyes kind of tracing the paths going up 
and realizing like that's off limits like i can't get to that and just really sorry uh yeah experiencing the weight of that loss there's times when i got angry yeah um i think there's a lot with spinal cord injury that you think like oh you can't you can't walk yeah yeah it's a lot more than just use of legs like when you're paralyzed your whole neurological system is kind of whack so like bowel and bladder and nerve pain and spasticity and just just like a whole list of stuff it's not just the legs it's so much more than that yeah we wouldn't otherwise observe and especially early days your body's just on the fritz and i was like this is maybe tmi but uh just to be real about it like Mm -hmm. i mean i remember the first time i went with my brother tyler like to go shop for some shoes and it was like one of my first times kind of out in public out of the hospital and we went to like a whatever the department store was and like i got to the aisle where i would like be looking and like shit myself oh my god I just be like, dude i think that just happened and my brother looked at me like you sure and I, like yeah you yeah. gotta go home and i was i kind of lost it i was pissed <laughs> like yeah yeah like i'm 30 i'm an adult what is this and uh, yeah especially in those early days calibrating getting used to and your body like normalizing again it's just a lot so you know it wasn't Easy would be very much the wrong word to use. And because I, I talk a fair amount about my story, like I sure. mentor at Craig, and that's how you relate to someone who's recently undergone this kind of thing is like you talk about your story. Yeah. You connect on this kind of stuff. And I do want to emphasize predominant focus of my days. I don't wake up most days and just like wallow in, oh, wow, this is hard. Mm-hmm. And because frankly, like you do adapt. Like it's yeah. kind of. A beautiful and remarkable thing like you I jump in the car and have my chair broken down and loaded in within 45 seconds and I'm out and most of the like friction and inconveniences I've worked to sort of systemically find ways to to just handle and sort of normal course of day-to-day yeah I also think that like one thing that has struck me is I'm fond of saying like we all have stuff like we all have stuff and my my stuff is visible it's like tactile like visible tactile when i'm hopping in a an uber or lyft and the driver helps load my chair in the car they've they've handled my stuff in a sort of like physical way and it often like precipitates a question of like you know hey young guy like what what happened yeah um and and that's what i was gonna ask you about mm -hmm. have you felt that you're able to make connections with people more easily yeah hugely i think you have to be also willing to a degree to share and actually address and talk about it and i'll be i'll admit it like you know like anyone there's days where i just want to kind of headphones in be in my space and it's not like i'm having these conversations every single day yeah on the whole, the opportunity is far, far more readily presents itself to mention, you know, in a few sentences, some of the, the bits of, of my personal narrative. And it more often than not elicits sharing in kind. Like, and, and this is also how, when I say everyone's got stuff, like, I, you know, in these last handful of years, I found myself so much more frequently in, the situ- in these situations where the other person I'm speaking with shares back and it's not spinal cord injury but it's like family or other health stuff you wouldn't otherwise see or financial or like whatever yeah. it is and I often find myself in this like privileged position of being privy to people's more 
vulnerable, more honest, more like, you know, raw selves, which I'm deeply grateful for. Like it's, I, I've spoken on this as like a superpower, like it's the superpower of connection. You're like in a situation like this, like I mentioned, like you more often find yourself in those kinds of conversations and in those situations. Do you think, and I know this is a hard question to answer, but do you think that your life is like more vibrant now? post-injury yeah i i think that the last three and a half years since that since my injury have been absolutely some of the richest fullest years of my life and i i I don't really see that changing (laughs) i've been fond in the last few weeks of talking with my sis um very close with all my siblings and uh yeah chat with molly about like 2020 is gonna be fucking awesome (laughs) I never say 2020 is going to be awesome because anytime I say that a year is going to be awesome, it ends up being. (laughs) Yeah, you you jinx it a little bit. I jinx it. So I'm going to, I'm going with 2020 is not going to be my year. Okay. (laughs) I'll report back. Wear the t-shirt. Like 2020 dot, dot, dot. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So. It, it sounds like you had a fantastic family and support group and community. It sounds like all your friends were there for you. Were you in a relationship yeah. at the time? Did that affect the relationship? Like, what was that like? I was in a relationship, and I can speak a little bit to it. I mean, we're still very close. We, we were engaged at the time. <gasps> and life, it's like, got drunk and kept punching kind of thing. She lost her mother suddenly then there was another death in the family and then like I hit a tree and that was within the span of like two months and it was a very brutal time and as these things often do it sort of prompts a a deep reassessment or like a a refiguring out of who you are and and where we came to you know we stayed together throughout all my time in the hospital but we ended up calling off the engagement in early June of 2016 and it was a it was a pretty brutal year like I had literal back surgery and figurative heart surgery yeah and yeah I mean I I think it got through 2016 because I mean I had a, a cousin or a best friend or a brother or sister or mom dad like and uncle like I had just people coming out I rented a two-bedroom and that second bedroom was just generally had someone in it especially for those first couple months and yeah. so more hours than I could count on my couch, just sometimes talking about and sometimes just like with someone close to me, just being present and being in that space. And yeah, there, it was a lot of deep, hard work, heart work that went on in that ensuing the rest of that year and a lot of healing, obviously like, uh, well, I guess this isn't obvious, but I would say like when you come off of this kind of injury and your body vitally changes and like, what does this mean on, you have so many questions. Yeah. Um, I'm fond of saying when I talk to folks that have been more newly injured, like similar to how you would approach dating, like, you know, you've been dating for two weeks, plan two weeks ahead. Like you've been dating for a few months, maybe talk about the next couple months, but like you've been dating for, you know, a little bit. Don't plan five years ahead. Like don't ask questions about like, so what do kids look like for us? You know, like similarly with this injury, like you've been in it for a month or two like don't try and tackle some of these big bigger questions because like you just don't have enough information on the table yet you don't right. know but yeah i had definitely some questions about like being attractive being you know eligible in the crazy you know 
mm-hmm. dating scene of you know 2019 or whatever 2017 <laughs> how does my body work like all these questions and then like you know with the aftermath you know after that relationship like I was not at a place to be trying to answer them like yeah. I couldn't like not at all it was just like nope that's a hard press pause pick it up at some point in the future and so that dynamic was tough I just had to sit with those questions, basically. Have you opened yourself up to dating since? Yeah. um, It's been actually a really positive thing. I got coming into 2017, dated a bit, had one more serious relationship, like was able to put myself sort of fully out there and and, um, be with someone again. And I've always been, I don't know if this podcast so far kind of illustrates, but like pretty heart and sleeve, like um, to a fault kind of thing. And so like, that I do think, like, I was more readily kind of able to do that than maybe the, the norm would be or whatever, whatever that means. But mm-hmm. um, I haven't found it yet, but still, still working. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so it's been a positive experience. Okay. That's yeah. great. And so, you know, I was watching this. <laughs> I was on the University of Utah's YouTube channel. <laughs> Okay. And I was watching this video and... As it, one does. Yeah. Really exciting channel. Actually, it really was exciting. And I was look, I was watching a video about these wearable robots. And I was just wondering if you think like with, mm. you know, the advancements in medicine and technology, if you're going to be able to walk again or is there going to be um, more options for people who have had spinal cord injury and in terms of mobility? Yeah, you saw like some exoskeletons being used. I've walked around with an exo uh, a few times. Yeah, um, Craig Hospital's got two different models. Super, and I, I work in tech. So yeah, you're tech guy. Stuff. I'm, a, I'm a tech nerd. Uh, yeah, so it's it's super early days, um, mm-hmm. right? Like to be viable as like a day to day thing that one might use, like. I think they'll solve very specific use cases first before mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, my my like day-to-day mode of getting around is in a wheelchair. It's like I'm walking. You know, I, I look forward down the road to uh, – why, why so much for walking? Like I would rather fly. Like I've done walking. It's yeah, like, it's, it's true. Let's <laughs> just straight Iron Man suit this era. But, yeah, I think right now it's early days. It's really exciting stuff. I do think that will continue to advance in the next like – three to five years i don't expect to be looking to invest in an exo but longer time horizons probably yeah. um i'm actually advising a company right now called ramp um that just came out of the TechStars boulder program and is trying to build a new sort of retrofit to provide e-assist to a manual wheelchair like i'm in a lightweight you know 20 pound manual wheelchair that i push but like getting out into rougher terrain and getting like you know a long day of commuting beat up your shoulders and it's exhausting and sometimes you just can't if it's super steep terrain like even keep up and people have mm-hmm. to kind of help you and it's like you want to feel independent and sort of on par with your uh with your friends and so this retrofit provides e-assist natively to this kind of a chair that just augments how you push so like wow. sort of like any assist on a bike um and you know like wait wait huge. will you just ex- expand upon what e-assist is yeah. e-assist yeah electric assist so it it you know puts a 
small electric motor in the camber tube between the two big wheels on the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And so with sensors on the rim, so like as you push, it senses you pushing and it augments like it gives you an extra boost with that yeah, push. Yeah, yeah. I've always uh, wondered why that wasn't a thing, and now. Yeah, and the current like solutions out there right now are just so janky and so. They've been around forever. They're clunky. Yeah. Like the, the biggest sort of product that's out there called Smart Drive is like a giant battery pack that weighs like twenty odd pounds that you hook onto the back of your chair with a little wheel on it, and that little wheel just provides some extra power. But like. You can't think that over bumpy, uneven terrain. It's like a huge, clunky, heavy thing. It's just kind of ridiculous. Um, so I get excited about this kind of thing, right? Like the idea of human ingenuity and creativity coming to bear on like really, really fucking hard problems. And the idea of like running and doing super active, able-bodied sports mm-hmm. again is the dream. I'd love to get back there. But like, let's start with, I'd love to be able to go out and hike with a bunch of buddies in my day-to-day chair and not have to feel like a needy. Like, yeah. oh, this is steep, push me, or oh, hold yeah. on, I got to like... That's exciting to figure out, like, it's, to solve It's exciting. That. It's energy bringing. I, and like, yeah, I'm really grateful that I live in the time and place that I do. Like, getting this injury 50 years ago is just a different thing. Oh, my God. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Speaking yeah. of God, were you spiritual before? Yeah, <laughs> you like that? Speaking of God, let's get into it. Yeah, that's six months uh, of podcasting experience for you. I picked that up. Mm-hmm, there you go. Were you spiritual before your injury? Were you religious? I heard that you said that you prayed with your family. Mm-hmm. And how did your spirituality or lack of like play into your healing? Yeah, and thanks for bringing it up. It's a, it is a big part of my life. Faith has been part of my life. For a long time now, I was I was raised in kind of a mixed fam. I got my dad comes from a Jewish family, um, and my mom uh, is Christian. And uh, oh, love that! Faith has been a big part of my life. My I think it stems from really at the beginning. It was my mom. She she lives out sort of I like to say like if Jesus showed up. He'd like I got stuff to do, but I got to like. Pines Town residents and give Randy Pines a high five because she's been killing it. Like, just, yeah. she's incredibly giving, selfless, unbelievably sacrificial in how she loves people and just walks the walk. And, you know, as I've grown up and had to sort of own that for myself, I'd spent time, as I mentioned, out in Hawaii, and there's a pretty incredible church out there, Blue Water Mission down in Kui, um, with a did some pretty beautiful stuff, um, helping to uh, combat some of the trafficking going on in Waikiki and just like a huge outreach effort with some of the homeless population in that area and just like a group of people that were living it out um, yeah. and showed really the best of what it means to follow after the teachings of how Christ laid it out. And um, that's a big, a big thing. It's actually, and I've had this conversation a number of times on, on both sides, like folks that faith wasn't a thing, like, yeah, and then they got hurt and then like found this new access and way to connect and find meaning there. And then like the flip side, like was really devout, like, you know, 
submitted in my faith and then got hurt and like the bottom dropped out. It's like, where are you, God? And I think Mm -hmm. I get how both can happen. Um, I, it deepened, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. my, it's kind of both like that, a core, I think, to living a life of faith is to like get off of yourself and like this sort of natural human tendency to put ourselves on the throne and want to be like the shit totally whether that's professional or whatever like you know Mm -hmm. and i i started um you know there's tension right like i share a story a bunch and like likes come in on instagram whatever yeah the struggles that we all have and sometimes i think i'm distracted yeah maybe is that word but like i think my faith and also the faith of certain others in my life demonstrated for how they showed up and lived out sort of sacrificial love in pouring into me, uh, yeah. really affirmed what it is that it should look like. And I, I strive to be that kind of a vessel to others in my life. Like that sort of posture of both worship and getting off of yourself and I'm like, you know, reorienting to like I'm not the main event here and also I'm here in service of others like that also with respect to when things are tough I think when we're dealing with our own hard shit like yes you have to deal with your stuff but one even tactic one way to help with that is to like who are you pouring into like yeah not saying that's the only you can't just do that like you need to work on yourself too but um you know the minute you start teaching mentoring showing up for others you, you don't need powerful. to be like fully buttoned up and like all good to to be there for someone right yeah and i think that was uh, a big part of my my own healing was yeah. stepping into that place for others um at craig that were craig and also the high fives community um that anyways i think that but. um advocacy work and helping others can be so so powerfully healing and therapeutic i feel like it's like a form of therapy 100 wow okay this was so wonderful thank you so much for chatting with me you're the greatest and i'm really glad our paths crossed likewise yeah 2020 2020 baby not gonna be my year i'm using reverse psychology on the universe Uh, yeah (laughs) on 2020 you're just like staring at it like i mean i'm in your head now 2020 yeah oh and your instagram oh. instagram handle um oh yeah tell the people the, inst- the instas tell um, the people your insta uh j n pines and like nicholas j n pines mm-hmm. uh, yeah on the instas yeah i'll 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 tag you i'll link you in case you want to follow him and see what he's up to um yeah all right we did it's it. Season. It's going to be a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Jay. Just a All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. See ya.